Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast. The Getting Smart team recently co-hosted a panel for the Learning Planet Festival. The Learning Planet Alliance leads a global community of practice dedicated to the transformation of education and the co-construction of a learning society. It's a partnership between the Learning Planet Institute and UNESCO. In our event, we cover how pathways might be able to better predict and deliver for the jobs of the future. Due to legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act, there is a huge demand for green jobs, solar, wind, materials, etc. In this event, we talk to numerous people and organizations who are doing amazing things to build skills and awareness towards this future. We hope you enjoy. I'm Mason with Getting Smart. We have created a panel here today to talk about what a greener future of work could look like. Um, so this is how schools and communities can work together to better streamline opportunities for youth. Michelle, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Sure. Um, so I'm from the Educators Lab. Uh, I'm American, but I'm based in Switzerland. Uh, we work to bring startup uh, in inspired professional learning and teacher training um, to make it more commonplace um, and help uh, schools navigate change. And this is a big reason that uh, this topic has come up. So working in Switzerland, um, one thing I've noticed is a lot of schools right now are really talking about, are we truly setting our students up for success if we don't take sustainability into account? This in terms of how they operate, so infrastructure, transport, water, um, food, uh, and uh, how we actually prepare our students for the future. Um, we're noticing that, you know, it's not just about personal choices uh, in consumer choices. These matter, but students have tremendous capacity to make impact in their professions. And frankly, we're going to need to because sustainability is going to evolve um, pretty much all of the professions out there. Right now, what we're seeing in a lot of schools, uh, we are seeing more of a, a drive towards sustainability. So we have schools hiring sustainability directors, figuring out ways to put it into curriculum. We're seeing sustainability weeks. We're seeing a lot more student projects. Um, there's foundations who are funding, you know, changemaker students and trying to invest and young people's ideas and give them a voice. Um, but really, it still does feel a bit like uh, people approach sustainability as something that's extra or something that's doing good. And this is a big reason we wanted to have this, this chat here is because um, the reality of this is really going to change the way we live and work. And we really need to be prepared for that. Um, I am in Switzerland, so we have very different education to employment pipelines here. Um, apprenticeships are very big, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities to help engage students in some of the professions we need. So, for instance, when we talk about an energy transition, um, we don't have enough people to make that possible. Like if we talk about installing solar, uh, we don't have enough people who can manage those projects so we can have those panels on the building. So the opportunity is there, and it's going to continue continue to grow. We hear a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies, they want climate literacy. It is going to be, um, you know, the, the literacy, if you will, of the future. It's what kids need so that they are marketable and employable. Um, and so that said, uh, I just wanted to share some inspiration um, from what we have you know, here, um, I, these pictures are a bit small, but uh, I went to probably one of the best career expos I've ever seen in Geneva. And they had, um, they had hired a company that uh, 
infuses SDGs into their work. So that's sustainable development goals. And so kids could go learn about the sustainable development goals, take anyone that they were interested in, and then go back. And this expo had everything. So, I mean, I try to have pictures that show the diverse array of work that students might go into. But then students could go to any profession of choice and talk with those professionals and say, you know what, what, what is this going to look like in, in my profession? What, what does, you know, climate action look like? What does it look like to infuse the SDGs? What does it look like to use this type of career um, to, to serve, you know, or for people, planet and prosperity, if you will. So um, what we have noticed, though, is there's not a lot on this. So, uh, you know, Mason and I were working a blog series around this topic, and it's hard uh, to find more examples of how we can engage students um, in these employment pathways. And that is the reason why we're here today. So. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. This is a tremendous opportunity in the U.S. Um, this is just a massive amount of money being invested uh, into communities, and we have the potential to transition over. So, um, but clean energy alone, we're looking at. 5 million jobs, clean manufacturing, 900,000, efficient buildings, 900,000, natural infrastructure, 600,000, clean transportation, 400,000, environmental justice, 150,000. So this is really a chance to restructure our economy and provide well-paid opportunities uh, to our youth. So what are we doing as, you know, as communities? And I think the school plays a central role here, but, you know, they, they need other people to help them. Um, what can we do to, to create those, um, to make those opportunities a reality uh, for our youth? And that's what we are here to, to discuss today. Let's go ahead and let the panelists kind of introduce themselves. Um, my name is Tish Tablon. I'm a program director, director at a national nonprofit called Generation 180, where we inspire and equip people to take action on clean energy. Um, and I've been working on sustainability and education for over two decades now. I've also been a public school teacher, a science teacher. I've worked on um, green workforce development. Um, so I'm excited to have this discussion today. And uh, I'm Thomas Riggle. I'm the school program sustainability manager for Denver Public Schools. Um, been here for about five months now. Um, started out as a scientist and realized that I was really passionate about waste diversion and then ended up getting my master's in environmental policy and then went on to work in waste. I've also worked in water conservation and I've also worked um, in environmental health working on air quality. Right now um, at DPS, we just passed our climate action plan. So now we're trying to figure out how we're going to implement that and um, also gain student support for that as well. I am Shanique Banks. I'm Senior Director of Development and Workforce Initiatives for the Philadelphia Energy Authority. I'm a 25-year workforce veteran, a workforce development veteran with a particular interest in marginalized populations, women, opportunity, youth, um, Black and brown people. Um, had an opportunity to lead some work with some big national nonprofits, including OIC of America, the Urban League, and now I'm at the Philadelphia Energy Authority. Um, the authority is a quasi-government institution that is leading the clean energy transition in Philadelphia. All right, and I am Mr. Jordan Crawley. I am the solar energy technology teacher at Frankfurt High School, which is part of the School District of Philadelphia. So I teach a three-year career and technical education program here. So that's over a thousand hours of in-class time with the students. I have them every day, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. 
And my main objective is to get them college or career ready in the field of solar energy technology. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, all right. Cannot wait to hear from all of you. Let's let's get started with some scene setting. Um, Michelle did a little bit of this for us beforehand. However, we've got a couple questions here. Um, Tish, if you wouldn't mind starting. So why this focus on green? Why, why green pathways? I love this question because I think the opportunities for green careers are endless. Um, I believe we should be thinking about how every occupation and career can be greener and more sustainable, largely because climate change is the greatest challenge our generation is facing. And the world needs to adapt quickly and immediately. And so what this means is that every school, every employer, every household needs to be thinking about how to be more sustainable, how we can all be reducing carbon emissions at all scales. And um, so the Biden administration has made a commitment to keep the United States on this path to stay in line with a target of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by 2030. So that's just seven years away. Um, and last year, our Congress passed laws that will help us build out this domestic clean energy economy and a workforce that can respond to this tremendous challenge. Um, so Michelle mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act as an example. Um, and within that, there are many, um, there's a lot of funding going out, but also new provisions that incentivize and require solar developers to include apprenticeships for new solar projects, as an example. So our country is quickly adapting to climate change and trying to build out clean energy infrastructures. And as a result, the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics has projected that wind turbine technician and solar PV installer will be among the fastest growing occupations through the end of the decade. So these are just two examples of clean energy careers that will need more workers now and in the future. And we can be preparing young people to fill these jobs. And I think Michelle um, alluded to the fact that that's already happening happening in Switzerland, that that need is there. And there's also an opportunity there and around the world to um, fill these new jobs. Thank you, Tish. Um, Shoni, give me a little bit of a, a peek behind the workforce curtain as well. Shoni, give me a little bit of a, a peek behind the workforce curtain as well, if you wouldn't mind. No, no, sure. Um, I think it's exactly what um, Tish and Michelle has been saying that the the demand is the demand for the workforce is outpacing um, our ability to fill these jobs. And Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, in the Commonwealth since 2019, solar installers have outpaced all other jobs combined by four to seven percent. And Philadelphia, that number is just growing. Um, what we do at the Philadelphia Energy Authority is pair programs with um, training opportunities. So our Solarize um, program, which aims to Solarize uh, Philadelphia, is paired with our Solar Installer Training, our Bright Solar Futures curriculum. Um, this is the first um, of its kind, 1,080-hour CTE program offered at Frankfurt High School, um, led by uh, Mr. Jordan Crawley, preparing young people for the workforce. It's really the, uh, the best on-ramp to a prevailing wage job, one with earning potential, and one that does not need a lot of additional trainings, but has the opportunity to. So when you're talking about creating um, these on-ramps that help people make meaningful contributions to their community, right? Sustain a sustainable living wage. Solar installation here is really 
um, one of those emerging bright outlook careers that is only only going to grow in Philadelphia and across the country. I cannot wait to hear more from Jordan here in a little bit. Um, Tish, let's let's go back to you real quick. I'm going to stop sharing um, so we can get some bigger faces and let's see. Would would you mind Tish just sharing a little bit about some general case studies that you've done on on the region? I know we're going to highlight uh, Colorado and Philadelphia specifically on this call, but maybe just a couple of other ones you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much great work being done by school districts around the country, and I love kind of elevating um, what's what's going well and what other school districts can be looking to as examples. So two of my favorite school districts to talk about, in addition to Denver and Philly who are on this call, um, are Tucson Unified School District in Arizona and the New York City Department of Education. Um, so in the New York City Department of Education, so it's one tremendously large school district that covers all five boroughs of New York City. Um, so they definitely have scale. There are a million students that attend this school district. Um, and what they've done well is found a partner with a nonprofit called Solar One to help lead some of this solar workforce development and training teachers and how to do this. And they're doing this holistically from K to 12, starting in elementary school. Um, kindergartners are learning about solar energy. They're seeing solar at their school as well. So New York City is also one of the leaders in just solar development on their own buildings. Um, and that can be attributed to the commitment that um, the mayor and New York City as a whole is making to on-site renewable energy. And because the largest stock of buildings they have, um, municipal-owned buildings in the city are schools, then schools are really the logical place to put those solar arrays. Um, so they're doing a lot of great work, including I love the full circle aspect of their curriculum, which you know, again starts in kindergarten. And then when they get into high school, they can enter into um, their career in technical education or CTE, where they can choose to be electricians, or they can choose to enter this new solar training program where they're learning um, solar PV installations, they're learning design and sales. So all aspects of that clean energy um, economy. And then they can even do an internship where they're working with a solar installer in New York City to help install solar on their own schools. It's such a cool program. Um, so that's one great example um, on you know using a totally different um, using a totally different strategy in Tucson Unified School District. They have an incredible partnership with the University of Arizona, and they are um, doing a community school garden program. So the, so the schools throughout Tucson Unified have these school gardens where they, of course, learn about agriculture. Um, but in partnership with the University of Arizona, they're working with scientists at the university to learn about an emerging field called agrivoltaics. So if you're not familiar with that term, it is the study of kind of combining um, solar technology, that's the photovoltaic part of it, with agriculture, where you have a solar canopy shading your food garden um, and in this case, the students are doing real world research to study like how do plants grow under the shade of the solar canopy compared to just a regular garden, you know, grown in a traditional manner. Um, and the exciting part is they're finding really positive impacts that having some shade throughout the day from these solar panels um, actually improve the growth of plants. It gives them kind of a break from that heat and sun. Um, and it also kind of creates this little microclimate where it helps hold in some moisture as well um, to improve plants. So they're doing things like growing carrots in a season that traditionally couldn't be grown in Tucson. They're finding they can grow carrots in an off season under the shade of these solar panels. There's so many cool opportunities that 
students in um, really innovative school districts are getting to participate in and getting to see um, what future careers can be held that are green and sustainable. That is such great news. Um, Super cool shares. Thomas, would you tell me a little bit about what's going on in Denver? Um, So let me start with a little bit of history, I guess. Um, Denver Public Schools has had a sustainability department for around um, 11 years, 12 years now. Um, Came out with aggressive goals back in 2012, but didn't really have a lot of teeth. Um, Tried to do a lot of things in the district. Uh, We've done a lot of solar work. Um, We've tried to do a lot of outdoor classrooms, that type of stuff. But the students basically decided they weren't having it anymore. Um, So the students actually created their own group, and this came from students from high schools across the district, and uh, they're called the Denver Students for Climate Action, and started basically lobbying our school board and writing a policy and continue working with the sustainability department as well, and eventually got the city or Denver Public Schools to pass a policy that now sustainability is one of our core values and that we actually will now hold the superintendent accountable for the goals that are set. So we just recently passed our climate action plan for the district, um, has a lot of aggressive goals. I'm excited about it for the next five years and also has a, a, a huge um, priority on equity and environmental justice. So the students right now are still continuing to advocate and hold the district accountable, but they're also trying to empower other school districts to do the same thing. That's amazing. Do you all have a definition of kind of like the green skills that would like accompany this sustainability move? You know, I wouldn't say we have a definition, and I think it's hard to put a definition on that because there are so many skills that can fall on the green side of things. I mean, when I'm talking to students at career fairs, Um, they're saying to me, you know, what can I do in sustainability? This is what I want to do when I grow up, but I want to make sure it's sustainable. And I'm like, you can do anything. Um, And I think that's one of the amazing things that we're going to see is, you know, you've got landscapers who are sustainable, plumbers, electricians, you know, so there are all of these different pathways that kids can go now and still incorporate sustainability. Ada. Would you have any interest in sharing a little more about the Youth Entrepreneurship Initiative? Hi, sorry, I'm not a native speaker, so I hope I managed well. <laughs> uh, I'm from uh, Romania. It's um, a Central European country. We belong to the European Union. So uh, just like you, we have a rather ambitious agenda on sustainability. And uh, I represent an NGO, a nonprofit. Uh, we are running a climate education program at national level. And one of our projects consists, it is is called, um, how can I put this from Romanian? Uh, Giving sustainably, if you want to. And it encourages um, kids um, 12 to 16 years old to start small businesses with upcycled items. Um, First of all, it gives them a whole idea about uh, what recycling and upcycling uh, uh, is on how we can uh, drop the the amount of garbage we produce by uh, all these techniques. And then they they get to put their creativity to work and create from something they have or their families have or their community has and create 
create new brand new items, sell them, and their revenue goes to charity. So this is also, I'd say, a very fun and nice way for them to create things, to learn, to make some money, and to do something good. Thank you for sharing. Thomas, I'll come back to you real quick. I know you mentioned um, before we were talking about how sustainability is really embedded um, and is in progress of being embedded in really every facet of learning, um, sort of on that bend of like sustainability plus business that um, it was just talking about. So tell me a little more about what that looks like in Denver. Yeah, right now we're working, part of the sustainability department, working together with our curriculum team to basically embed sustainability for all age groups and into all the different subjects that there are. Um, and then we're also working on the apprenticeship side of things. Um, we're, we're trying to get basically green learning to be something that is going on throughout the school year, every single day, and, and just to make sure that students are aware and, and they know how to move forward and to prepare them for the green jobs that will be coming. I, that seems like a good transition to Jordan, um, who's doing some of that work in the classroom day in and day out. Um, Jordan, what what's going on in Philly? Yeah, it's pretty cool what we're doing here. So like I said before, it's a three-year tech program at a public high school in Philadelphia. And we try to get them college or career ready in the field of solar energy technology. So that's a pretty wide net there. A lot of different pathways, like we pointed out, uh, whether it's solar installation, uh, energy conservation projects, right? Uh, college pathways. So we're trying to get them prepared for that full array of things, right? So they, they come in as 10th graders, a little crazy, a little closer to middle schoolers than adults. And as we work through this, we try to get them ready to go into the workforce to contribute to the sustainability goals that we've all established. So we're in our third year now. So we have our senior seniors that are going to be graduating here in June. And we started with them during our online pandemic year, which was a little crazy, too. Uh, but we've been kind of rolling with the punches. And it's really cool to see how far some of them have really come from coming in, not really knowing anything about solar, not really knowing anything about sustainability to now answering like really technical questions and like getting it right. And I'm just like, let's go. So I'm talking <laughs> about. Let's go. You know, so um, it's pretty cool. And a challenge that that I'm still kind of facing sometimes with some of these students is like, sustainability itself like sometimes they're just disconnected with it you know they live in their little bubble they don't they don't necessarily have the worldview that we have uh with the educational backgrounds that we have and you know sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't because if we can get them into a green career path they're still contributing you know they're still gonna be a key piece of this puzzle you know uh so that's something that i've kind of um been able to lean on a little bit, even if I can't get them passionate about the environment, which is a challenge sometimes, getting them passionate about themselves and their careers and how they're going to contribute to the world and what's that's going to do for them as an individual and how you know that plays a role in their community. Definitely seeing a turn uh, with many of them as they're starting to kind of grasp what opportunities are really here. That's super interesting to think about like workforce as an entry point into kind of environmental concerns. I, for, it, it seems like it would go the other way in some ways, but like it, it, I think it can totally be either way. Has the existence of these programs started additional conversations like within the district or in the surrounding area around sustainability curriculum and like starting to do that more broadly? Yeah. So our Bright Solar Futures curriculum, which is, again, is a C three year um, CTE curriculum, was uh, funded by the Department of Energy, SETO, um, 
department, we've actually developed an out-of-school model, right, which is a condensed, um, really um, a robust six-month track, right? And we call it OpY, but, you know, Opportunity Youth is that 16, 24-year-old. It's for adults. Anyone over 18 um, years of age can take this um, pro, um, take this training and it can be placed into a job, right? Um, it's so successful. It's very successful. And the model that we have at PEA, we have, we do small cohorts. So small cohorts, deep investment, deep individual skill development, right? Really because we're, we're, we are fast tracking a lot of the young people who has to um, Jordan's point, then disconnected from this work for various reasons, even intentionally or unintentionally, they have been excluded from this um, uh, clean energy transition. Um, and we're, we're starting, we're, we're prioritizing equity. We're starting with the most um, marginalized uh, young people, opportunity youth, black and brown people, people living in poverty, right? Women, getting them into this space. Um, it's remarkable um, the work that we're doing in Philadelphia. And I really think that it can become a national model, really taking this, this classroom three-year training, condensing it, making it something that people can do short-term. We're pro providing work supports to Jordan's point. Um, folks who, um, people who are living in poverty have various overlapping issues associated to uh, work readiness. You have to minimize those barriers. One of the things we do all about participating in our workforce programs is stipends, living wage stipends um, for the whole time through training to placement. Uh, Thomas, you talked about the diff exposure, that pipeline to apprenticeships, OJTs, internships. I'm looking at my little notes here, make sure I don't miss it. Um, this year, we launched a summer initiative um, under Jordan's leadership where our whole uh, sophomore class came out of this summer opportunity was a paid experience that exposed them to a variety of renewables. So it's really this a partnership that um, transcends work education. It's like where education meets workforce, right? 101. It can be done. Um, would love to um, become, you know, we are really trying to position Philadelphia to be the model for that work. That is so good to hear. Um, so tell me a little bit about like how that if, partnership might not be the right word, but tell me a little bit how that relationship got started um, between you all and the schools. Cause I think that's a place where a lot of schools are scratching their heads. Like, I just don't know who to talk to and vice versa. Yeah, for, for, for Pennsylvania. So this, the relationship predated me. I've been with the authority a little over a year. Um, Jordan, I don't know if you were here at the inception of the partnership with the school district, but a part of the energy campaign is to um, bring these, it's to create these 10,000 jobs. And we're starting at high school, right? We're starting with the most, again, when we talk about these marginalized population, young people who are interested in this work. And we know that uh, young Philadelphians are interested and um, the clean in clean energy and in, in this make helping Philadelphia make this transition um, and really building curriculum. A lot of support, a lot of support from PICO, from private um, institutions, founder uh, foundations like um, William Penn um, pouring into this project. Uh, it, we, we were fortunate. Out of that, we built a curriculum that we're sharing with the world, right? three-year curriculum, 
It is very well written. You can go to our website right now, www.philoenergy.org uh, uh, to get um, the toolkit, scope and sequence and task list. I think it's task list, Joanne, keep me honest. And it, we are going to put up more pieces where people can download lesson plans, over 700 lesson plans, videos. It's all there. We really want it. And we're calling it edition one, right? Because as, as the field grows, as it sort of more, it's going to change and we want it to be pliable. But we also wanted to give educators, for those of you who are in the room, um, an opportunity to put their spin on it to really make it exciting and really have people, young people love this work. So it was a lot of thought put into it. We had industry experts. Um, Jordan is a unicorn in the space in Philadelphia. Not many um, have his credentials um, to teach it. But I think with the with our expert and industry experts, um, the commitment from the school district, the commitment funding, and our intentionality around fundraising, we were able to really get this done. So passion, Mason, a lot of passion in this partnership. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Um, Jordan, where the unicorn, how, what brought you back into like what brought you into the classroom? Like what what was that impulse? Because I know you have a bunch of experience before it, um, dealing more kind of hands-on in this stuff. Yeah, so it's pretty cool to like come full circle because I got interested in sustainability and renewable energy as a 10th grader in high school. And then I, you know, I went to Penn State. I got my energy engineering degree in environmental engineering and a master's in solar and renewable energy. And then worked in the industry for like six years doing project development and sales and then went on some worldly adventures and the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, I should probably get a job again, you know? So I started looking around and I came across a uh, solar energy teaching position. I'm like, what? This is like a dream come true. This is crazy. This is a thing. This is awesome. Um, and I applied for it and I didn't have a teaching background. You know, I came from the engineering and project consulting and I was like, oh, this is They'll never hire me, but I'll apply anyway, just in case, you know, and uh, I ended up landing it and it's been an incredible experience, you know, to, to work with these young people, to talk to them at the same age where I got interested in this, in these topics, uh, to see where they're at in terms of what do they want to do when they grow up? Like where, what do they even think their lives are going to look like and trying to get them to develop a vision for that future and trying to get that to the line with our, all of our collective sustainability goals. So it's been pretty, pretty wild ride. Amazing. I have a question. I don't know if anyone will have an answer per se, but you know, like how can people get started? You know, is it a matter of going to the school board first? Is it a matter of funding first? I don't know if anyone has any guidance, but I feel like these questions are probably, you know, people are asking them. I can answer a little bit of that and what we're doing. Um, since it's kind of distributed to at the state level in Colorado, you know, we have our we have the Colorado Energy Office, we have the Colorado Water Conservation Board. Um, and money is going through them. They haven't determined yet how they're going to distribute all of it yet, but we're just trying to make sure that we're part of the conversation in um, determining where they are going to be putting that money. So, you know, look at your state entities. We don't have to go to the school board whenever we're asking for money. Um, and we take, you know, we're always looking for free money um, because uh, Denver Public Schools is in, we're currently going to be in debt for the next five years. So just us having a budget in general is good. Next year will be the first year that we actually have a budget that is solid because we've relied off of um, solar energy um, 
rebates and also um, renewable energy credits that we have uh, sold. So, yeah, start talking to people at the state level, and then they can point you to people all over the state that are able to help you as well. I I can jump in. Thanks, Thomas, for that example. And um, I love what you shared earlier about students being a leading voice and getting your school district to even think about climate and what that means for school district um, to begin with. And I'll echo that, that um, don't underestimate the voice and power of students coming to a school board meeting um, and, and asking for something like we want a climate resolution or we want a solar CTE program. Um, there are so few young people coming to these meetings that the ones that do will get heard. Um, so, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the perspective of my organization, so Generation 180, I lead our Solar for All Schools program, and we're sort of coming at it from an angle of let's bring the solar technology to the schools because it's going to have a multiple fold effect, a ripple effect across the district. So the entry point that we're using is your school district can save a lot of money by going with solar energy. We can teach you how to do this with no upfront costs and then save money directly. So we're my organization's working in, in Pennsylvania. That's how I got to know Jordan and Shonique um, through this work. And so it's a great story to say, like, you know, here is something that that every district struggles with is budget. And if we and energy is the second largest expense for school districts after staffing. So if you're budget tight and you're thinking, gosh, I need to cut programs or cut staffing, let's look at this other ongoing expense you have, that's your electricity bill. So if we can bring solar into the mix, um, you know, that's kind of a good entry point for schools. And then they can say, hey, we have this technology on site. Why aren't we having our high school students or a CTE program installing these things? You know, how can we now um, build this program? I mean, we have examples of school districts that are using those solar energy savings for increasing teacher pay. It could be used to start a solar CTE program. It could be used to start your agrivoltaics program. So there are um, kind of a lot of connection points between you know, having that clean energy technology on site and you can kind of get your um, district administrators on board with this idea because there's a potential revenue stream to that you can leverage. A few more examples to folks out there thinking like, how do I do this myself? Um, you know, we talked a lot about partnerships. So in this room, we've talked about some local examples, some urban examples. So I just want to bring out some ideas that um, might help others think um, how what resources you can look for. Um, so I'll point to one example in New Jersey. We're at the state level. Um, two years ago, they became the first state in the country to adopt K-12 learning standards, obligating teachers to instruct kids about climate change um, across all grade levels and subjects. And the intention of this program was to both shape school instruction and prepare you know, these young people for the changing world they're gonna experience, but also the changing job market. You know, so um, that's a good state level example of where you, know, you have some state commitments to do this that will hopefully create the ripple effect that will um, help create more programs like you know, what you see on this call. Um, I think another opportunity is another legislation that was recently passed, um, the CHIPS and Science Act. So this bill had a lot of funding towards um, domestic uh, technology production. So um, building out our technology infrastructure in the United States, but also the workforce that will fill that. Um, so in that bill, there's $200 million um, that's going to get allocated over the next five years, specifically to increase collaboration between elementary and secondary school teachers and scientists at 
um, universities, at national laboratories. So kind of trying to help build this um, pathway between teachers and scientists and you know folks doing this work. Um, the National Science Foundation through this bill has also got um, a lot of money um, for STEM education, some of it specifically to support STEM teaching in rural schools. So all of the examples I see here on the call are all urban school districts. Um, so there is definitely some money that will be coming out that will specifically be focused for rural school districts as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. Thank you.